You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a four-part series of messages on the fellowships that Irvin Robertson presented at Moon Lake, Indiana, 1978. Then on Friday, a standalone message on the Good Samaritan. Irvin Robertson was a 1938 graduate of MBI, missionary, author, MBI faculty member, and coordinator of the Boynton Beach Moody Evening School. Now, here is Irvin Robertson on Today in the Word Radio. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written, what readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, who stripped him of his raiment and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him he passed by, on the other side. Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had come him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Blessed God, as we turn again to this thy holy and inspired word, we thank thee that thou hast given to us thy Holy Spirit, the earnest of our inheritance, the earnest of our redemption, the one who guided in the writing of thee the one who must needs take thy word and apply it to our hearts, that we, as indeed we bask in all of the joys of Christian fellowship, may be reminded continually of people, the multitudes, the millions, the billions we live, who know nothing of joy like this, who know nothing of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, who have not yet heard that he came, that he died, that he arose again, that he ascended, and that he is coming again. Bring every thought of unto the obedience of Christ, and grant to us as we raise the shields of faith against all the fiery darts of the wicked one, that thy word shall be implanted within our hearts, that we indeed, regardless of our age, young or be we older, that we will realize the place that thou hast for us in thine own plan and thy purpose, that there shall not be one of us present in this auditorium this morning, who shall not say, Lord, here am I, here am I, please send me. 
We trust thee, O God, for every word that shall be spoken in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This particular parable was made very meaningful to us a good many years ago now. One on one uh, rather chilly morning late in the year in India, several of us went off by on foot to go up towards the mountains of Nepal and visit villages in which, as far as we knew, the gospel had never been. As we walked along that single road, dust-covered as it was that morning, we noticed that up ahead of us—this was about three or four miles outside of our town—we noticed what seemed to be a bundle of rags or something of that nature by the side of the road. We more or less estimated it must be simply something of no uh, value whatsoever because no one else on the road was paying any attention to it. And somewhat to our surprise, we saw that it was indeed rags, but the rags were encasing the body of an old man, an old man who was lying literally by the side of the road, an old man who was very, very ill. He was un. He was lying on his side. His knees were drawn up almost to his chin. Obviously, he had been writhing there during the course of the early hours of the morning or the late hours of the night, breathing very, very deeply. There he was in a very obvious. As we stopped, of course, the people of India, being this way as they are in our great country, they stopped to see what we would do, and we stopped and we looked at him. And of course, the need was very, very obvious. We did not need anyone to tell us was in desperate need. I would like you to take yourself out there on that occasion and try to stand in our place, in our position, and ask yourselves the question: What would I have done if I had been there? What would you have done if you had been there, looking upon this man in his very, very obvious physical need? Very obvious need. Now let me leave the story for the moment, and go back to the story of the three men, particularly in this story. One of whom undoubtedly represents us, as we stand before God, before whom all things are naked and opened. The one with whom we have to do. The priest, as we have noticed him, and the fact that they were going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Might indeed have indicated that he had been in the service of the Lord at the temple in Jerusalem. He was involved, shall we say, full time in the Lord. When he saw the man in his desperate need, what was his response? Well, he simply passed by on the other side. He simply passed by on the other side. Then came along the Levite. The man was undoubtedly in some kind of.、Uh, Of a business pertaining to the temple, and there he was, as he saw the man by the side of the of the road, and apparently he was momentarily touched, for at least he looked. But then he also passed by on the other side. Both of these men saw the need that was there. Both of them apparently physically moved away from the obvious. Both deliberately shut. To their obvious and clear responsibility, and went on their way. They disobeyed, of course. They disobeyed. Yes, they disobeyed the law, because is it not written in the law, the Shema of the Jews in Deuteronomy six verses four and five, 
Behold, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one, or the Lord thy God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. But it is also written in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Both of these men saw the obvious need, and both of them deliberately their own very, very clear responsibility according to the law. But then came along the despised Samaritan, the Samaritans who were despised by the Jews, of whom John records before that the Jews had no dealings whatsoever with the Samaritans. I need not elaborate upon that because I'm sure that all of you know the, the situation as it existed. Here came along this man, this Samaritan, riding along on his own private business. And you remember what he did. I'd like you to notice three things as to his response. Number one was this, that he did what he could right then. He did what he could then. In Luke 10, 34, he went to him, and it's good to try to use one's sanctified imagination and see the picture as this was being enacted there. He went to bound up his wounds. The Samaritan bound up the wounds of the man by the side of the road who undoubtedly was a Jew. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beast and took care of him. That is, he did, first of all, what he could right then. Second, what he could not personally do, he committed unto someone else who could do it. The man to the inn, he committed him to the care of the innkeeper, and further, he paid that it might be done. Now, I suppose I could actually stop right there and ask the Lord to apply it to your heart and to my Consider in these moments the need of the world of our day. The millions, the billions of people who are in a very realistic sense by the side of your road. Now they're not lying there but we know according to the word of God that they are just in as helpless or perhaps even a worse condition spiritually because the word of God tells us that men without Christ are dead in trespasses. The Word of God tells us that men are helpless, they are hopeless, yes, and they are godless who know not the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word of God tells us that there is only one way to be saved. The preaching, the giving of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in whatsoever way or method or means that we can. This man by the side of the road represents the people spiritually by the road and of mine. And may I make this again very, very personal. I'm so much concerned these days, it seems to me very, very much, that we who belong to the body of Christ feed constantly on the good things of God and somehow we hold them on an academic level and we do not know really experientially what the Lord has actually done for us. I believe and I preach what is called the victorious life in Christ. The life in 
of the Holy Spirit, which is the normal Christian life. Reminded just yesterday, speaking from the epistle to the Hebrews, that Paul, or whoever wrote that epistle, wrote to these people, and he said, you are when you ought to be teachers. It's time for you to leave the elementary things of the gospel and proceed on to maturity. I think that all too many of the Lord's dear ones in our day feast constantly on the word of God, but somehow or another, by the act of faith, apply the word to their hearts. And so one looks, one can look at a situation like this and be overwhelmed by the joys that God has given to us in the moment, the blessings we have in Christ Jesus, and somehow be oblivious to the fact Christ are lost. This man did what he could at the very moment. What he could not do, he committed unto one who could do it. And then he paid He paid for it. Now you and I must needs, in the course at least of an hour like this, trusting in the Holy Spirit of God, we must ask ourselves individually, which of these three men exemplify me? The priest who apparently was completely untouched by the situation. The Levite who may have been momentarily moved, but he was simply too busy. His schedule was too tight. He had too many other to do, and he simply moved on. Or the Samaritan who was journeying on his own business, and yet who found the time and the energy and the means to do whatsoever he could for that man, and then had someone else take care for it. I'm sure that you can see the missionary picture as it might be applied or drawn from a story like this. The Word, the word of God recognizes two kinds of people. I feel when I say things like this that I'm simply repeating that which everyone knows. But we are told in teaching that redundance is good for emphasis, and repetition is certainly good for emphasis. But you and I know that recognizes that there are only two kinds of people. There are those who are saved by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and there are those who are lost, who are dead in trespasses and sins. And the Word of God gives to people like you believe the word, the word of God gives us at least two direct commands and certainly a strong suggestion of a third as they pertain unto missions itself. And I'm sure that many of you likewise recognize what the commands are. You can recognize the outline of the message as we will proceed even before I suggest them. The first of these commands undoubtedly to us is that to go. We must as the Samaritan did when he could do it, we must recognize that God commands us to go without any additions or subtractions or, or any other types of uh, things that might be uh, suggested here. The Word of God comes to you and to me and says, when he was moved with compassion, when he saw the multitudes that were as sheep without a shepherd, he said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he may send forth laborers into his harvest. The first of these commands is the command to pray. The command to pray. To pray ye therefore. When he saw the multitudes, I'm not giving many statistics during this particular hour. 
mistakes can come can become unfortunately very very unmeaningful they become simply so many numbers but i'm having you think upon primarily the lord jesus christ and what he has done for us who he is what he has done for us what he has pray ye therefore and of course anyone who is not praying therefore is in that sense living in disobedience Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his Undoubtedly, this is the easiest of the commands to fulfill. One has said that there is nothing easier to do than to pray. But he went on to say that unfortunately there is nothing that the Lord's people than to pray. I was challenged some years ago, a good many years ago now, Listening to WMBI, it must have been the uh, Theodore Epps Back to the Bible broadcast. And someone taken a census of the Lord's people, of evangelicals, to seek to ascertain how much time the average believer spent with the Lord in prayer. I'm presuming they had in mind the time spent in what we call the separate with the Lord. But we were told that the average amount of time spent daily by the Lord's people was five minutes. As I say, a good many years ago we heard that. But ever since. And yet the Lord Jesus said, Pray ye therefore. Be instant in prayer, giving thanks always for all things, and so on. The word is replete with the commands that you and I are to pray the area of missions do you have a prayer list do you have those for whom you pray day by day perhaps you like many of us have a list that is so long that we couldn't possibly pray to any length of time for all that we've had privileges of teaching at a place like Moody Bible Institute and indeed as at Columbia Bible College was that the world is is proliferated with young people who have sat in our classes and regardless of where we go, meet this one and that one here, there, and everywhere who was at Moody Bible Institute 15, 20 years ago, for whom we are led to pray from time to time. But do you have a prayer list? Have you realized yet in your experience the efficacy of, the efficacy of prayer? I recall some years ago Dr. David Johnson, who was the general director of TEAM, it was shortly after Erickson and Tritt had been killed in what was then New Guinea. Dr. Johnson was a man of prayer, a man whom we respected very much. We served in India with team. And he was the kind of a man who would meet us on a crowded platform in India and he'd say, Brother, let's pray. He was just that kind of an individual. Prayer was an interview. But he said this in a very winsome way. He said, I wonder. He said, I have oftentimes wondered. When I thought of these two fine young men being slaughtered for no, no good reason whatsoever out yonder in the jungles of New Guinea, I wondered if only we had had a thousand prayer warriors, might the story have been different? Well, of course, we don't know. The will and the purposes of God are known only to God himself. But Dr. Johnson was emphasized his belief in the power of prayer. It was Hudson Taylor, the great missionary statesman of the, the founder of the China Island Mission, who said that his motto was to move man by God through prayer. And he saw 
received by God as he prayed the earnest, effectual prayer of the righteous man. So that the command that comes to every one of us, regardless of state or condition or age or anything else, is pray for. Prayer that must be effectual. Prayer that must be fervent in order to be effectual. Ask God to enable you to become involved with the difficulties as well as with the joys. And oh, there are so many joys in the preaching of the gospel in lands beyond the sea. But the command of the, of the Lord is, pray ye therefore. But you recognize immediately that prayer is never a substitute for action. Prayer is never a substitute for action. As we looked at that man by the side of the road, there he was in all of his helplessness. We certainly did what we could, but we had nothing to work with. And we were completely what we unavailing. And we certainly prayed, Lord, 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 what shall we do? We prayed fervently, but prayer there was not enough. The prayer was not effective at all as far as we could see. But let me suggest once again as I leave this, the first word of the Lord to us this morning is this matter of prayer. Remembering the words of James again, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. One of the, one of the great benefits of being allowed by the Lord to different people in different parts of the world is the realization of the need of men without the gospel and the burden that God puts on one's heart. So many of you have had this kind of an experience, I'm sure. The burden to pray for people. Statistics, but pray for people. People who are just as real as you and I are. People whose eternity is just as long as yours is and mine is. Prayer. Prayer first, prayer last, and prayer But prayer is not always sufficient. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, 14, and 15, you have another great missionary passage. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be of the, of the marvel of that. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you remember the questions that come thereafter. How can they call on him who do not believe? And how can they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach they be sent? No question at all that in one at least of these questions, every one of us is involved. If it's not in the preaching, in the going, it certainly is in the giving that we're well aware of the burden that comes upon us in these days with inflation and rising costs and so on, with the devaluation or the lower, lowering of the value of the dollar that so many of our missionaries are suffering uh, because And yet the word of God is, how shall they preach except they be sent? You and I come somewhere in the answer to these questions. Going first of all, and then the matter of giving, of giving, giving for missions, giving that men across the street or across the sea. Let me not give the idea, by the way, that I'm so uh, 
foreign missions that are not conscious of the missions across the street. We've long since eliminated any division between home and foreign missions. We used to sing that chorus, across the street or across the sea, here am I, dear Lord, send me. But Lord, send me. And if I can't go, Lord, enable me to give that others may go who are willing to go. It's one of the tragedies, it seems to me, of of our day. That we have so many young people who are eager to get going, and they can't get going because. You know, because. How shall they preach except they be sent? I suggest to you, dear friends, that missions is the normal expression of vital Christianity. Some of you who studied missions either lately or long ago would remember that expression from Mr. Cook's book, Introduction to Christian Missions. He said, missions is the normal expression of vital Christianity. I like that very, very Vital Christianity means Christianity that lives. Vital Christianity is Christianity in which the Lord Jesus Christ is central in the life. Vital Christianity is Christianity that recognizes the presence of the living Christ. Vital Christianity is Christianity that says with the Apostle Paul, to me to live is Christ. Or as Peter said, whom having not seen we love, in whom though now we see him not, yet believing we rejoice. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's vital Christianity. And the normal expression of vital Christianity is to do what the Samaritan did. He did what he could at that moment. He committed unto another who was willing and able to do it. How shall they preach except they be sent? How shall they preach except they be sent? Missions, the normal expression Christianity. But may I suggest just one thing in, in the matter of giving. The matter of giving, the gift itself, the amount we give, is actually only a relative thing. That is, the amount is not the most important thing in the eyes of the Lord as I understand it. Actually, what, what the measure, rather, of my giving, may I put it this way, the measure is not what I give, for the sake of others, is what is left for myself after I have given. The measure of my giving is not how much I give. Some can give much more than others. The measure of my giving is how much do I have left I have given for the sake of others. Turn with me to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. The story of the Lord Jesus as he was standing outside the temple and saw men uh, giving of their uh, in the, the temple there. Luke chapter 21, just the first four verses. He looked up, that is, the Lord Jesus looked up. Luke 21, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. He looked up and saw the rich man into the treasury. There they were, with all of the ostentation, you see, casting their gifts Maybe one by one, portion by portion, casting them all into the treasury for everyone presumably to see. And he saw, the Lord Jesus saw, he people wouldn't. He saw a certain poor widow casting in there two mites. And he said a most amazing thing, of a truth I say unto you that this poor widow 
more than they all. That is, what she put in these two mites is worth more than all that they have given put together. Why did he say that? The answer is in verse 4. For all these have abundance cast in unto the offerings of God, but she of her penury hath cast in all the living she had. The difference was that they had cast in out of their abundance. They gave plenty, but they cast in out of their abundance so that there remained a sufficient portion for themselves. But this poor widow had cast in not out of what she had, but she cast in all she had. What she has given is of more value than all that they have given. She has given more than they all. So that if missions is the normal expression of vital Christianity, as the Lord looks he says, well, I know that you are in such a situation that you could hardly be expected to go for various and sundry reasons. And yet the Lord looks upon us in all of his grace and all of his mercy, and he says, how much are you willing to give that others might go? If you think not only of the multitudes without Christ, Think also of the many young people who are eager to go and can't. I recognize the provident hand of God behind all of this. I'm not We're trying to recognize the place that God has for people like us in the evangelization of the world in these last days. For most of us, I dare say that the privilege, ours is the privilege of praying and of praying and giving in order that others might go. May God grant that we shall give cheerfully, that we shall give of our abundance unto the Lord. I must hasten on. The third, of course, is the command to go, of which you hear frequently in every missionary conference. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And we recognize immediately that it's impossible for all of us to go into all the world. All of us cannot go, but is this, that whether we can or whether we can't is not really the issue. The point is, am I willing to go? It's not a time to look upon my circumstances and my surroundings and my family problems, which no doubt many of us have plenty. But the problem is, do I speak unto God out of a willing mind? Am I willing to go? I believe that there is not one member of the body of Christ released from the responsibility, the willingness to go wheresoever the Lord might command. Always remembering that God, God knows all about our circumstances. But God actually went all the way for us. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us how much? All things. As C.T. Studd once said, if Jesus Christ and died for me, there is no sacrifice too great for me to make for him. And there is no needless, no useless member in the body of Christ. Useless member in the body of Christ. Pray ye therefore, give that others may go, and above all and through all, be willing to go yourself. The Samaritan did what he could right then. 
could not do, he committed unto another who could do it. And the Samaritan prayed for it. Well, you say, what happened to the old man? After we had prayed over him, we did get on our knees beside him and did all that we could, which was very, very little. We did all that we could for him, and finally we sent back to our bungalow some three, four miles back and uh, had a, an old cot brought to us. Very laboriously, I remember we, we picked up that poor inert body and we lifted him up as gently as we could and put him, still bundled up or doubled up as he was, we put him on the cot and sent him back to the local hospital, sent him back to the local doctor, the government doctor. And on that note, we simply wrote this, please take care of him, and when we return, we will take care of any expenses involved. Away and preached in the villages. We preached the gospel to the living, the young men, the young women who had in all probability never heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ prior to that, uh, that day. We came back in about four o'clock in the afternoon and there was from the doctor which simply said the old man died without regaining consciousness about noon. He died without regaining consciousness. What we had done, what and we had but what we had done had been simply too little, or in all probability it had been too late. Too late. Friends, you recognize all oh, the joy that there is in being in the Lord Jesus. We belong to Christ. What a privilege to know that our sins have been forgiven, that our names are written in the book of life. But how can we contemplate the blessings that God has given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and be oblivious to the fact that there are people who have never even heard the name of the Lord Jesus. Which of these three men would represent us now? Am I like the Samaritan? Am I going to forget all of this as soon as I leave? So obsessed with the joy of Christ and the fellowship of the Lord's people. Am I going to be like the Levite momentarily touched but not really willing to go beyond that? Or could it be that all of us are willing to be like this Samaritan? And by the grace of God, we can right now. And what we cannot do, oh God, we'll give so that others might go and do it. And in this and through all of this, we will pray fervently. And by thy grace, we will pray effectively. Who then was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? He that showed mercy on him. And the Lord Jesus said to him, Go and do thou likewise. Shall Father dear, again we praise thee for the sheer privilege that is ours in such a fellowship as this. Do, dear Lord, sanctify thy word to each of us. May our hearts be stirred by thy holy that everyone indeed shall be willing Willing, yes, Lord, eager. Oh, God, what wouldst thou have me to do? Here am I, Lord, send me. We pray with thanksgiving. As Christ our Lord, amen. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message titled The Good Samaritan that Irvin Robertson presented at Moody Week at Winona Lake, Indiana, 1978. Irvin Robertson.
a graduate of MBI, missionary, author, MBI faculty member, and coordinator of the Boynton Beach Extension of Moody Evening School. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. For a five-part series of messages that John Whitcomb Jr. presented at Winona Lake, Indiana, 1966. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.